Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. Today's guest is the amazing author and comedian Sophie Hagen. I grabbed some time with her while she was in Edinburgh doing her Edinburgh Fringe run of her show The Bum Swing and I was in Edinburgh as well watching some shows so I reached out and she was available. So this is such an exciting interview for me because I'm just a huge fan of hers. We recorded this one in the Market Street Hotel so just wanted to give them a shout out to say thank you because it's a brand new hotel that opened on Market Street in Edinburgh recently so huge thank you to them for allowing us to chat in there. So Sophie Hagen is a voice you may recognise. She hosts many amazing podcasts and she actually used to host The Guilty Feminist way back when when it first launched and that's how I first came to know her and she also hosts her own brilliant podcasts called Made of Human, Secret Dinosaur Cult and Comedians Telling Stuff. She is a stand-up comedian first and foremost, that is her main job, she's a stand-up And she is also the author of her new book called Happy Fat, which is an amazing book that has sparked lots of different conversations. And I really recommend you grabbing a copy. She's been named as one of British comedy's most exciting talents, as well as winning the prestigious Edinburgh Comedy Award for Best Newcomer. If you missed her show in Edinburgh, you can go and see her show at the Soho Theatre. She's doing a run there from the 10th of September to the 14th of September. So go and grab your tickets and go and see it. It is hilarious. It's been described as a show about the things you forget, the things you remember and the things you wish you could forget. So go and see it. Hope you enjoy this episode. Please rate and review the podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you and see you next week. I'm a long-time Fringe audience member and I've been coming for quite a few years now, but I always think I cannot believe these incredible people do this for a month. When I'm working like a few nights quite heavily, I get really tired and I'm like, but these people do a month of stand-up. Like how, how is it during this month? I saw one of the first days I saw Rachel Fairburn's show and she had a bit in her show where she, she like stumbled over some words or something and then she said, oh, it's so hard working one hour a night. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, this is a really good point actually. That's so I true. think part of me is like, because it's, it's not the actual work Standing on stages, of course, you know, it's exhausting because you're very on, but it's the emotional, it's, you know, you're putting out your tiny baby show and then you just get reviewed and it's the tiniest thing like one person falling asleep in your audience or a reviewer hating you or was it yesterday there was a promoter in and I messaged her afterwards and I said, oh, that was a bit of a weird audience. And she said, oh, um, I like your shoes. And then that's been on my mind. (laughs) every minute ever since like she didn't mention the show did she not like the show why did she why did she see my shoes did she care about did she not care about the show why did she even was she just saying did she mean show did she mean that she liked my show (laughs) and it's that like you live in this bubble where everything is like you're really being judged and it doesn't feel like they judge your product like they judge you Mm. so it's the emotional kind of you know there's like one thing happening a minute that you have to sort of deal with and (laughs) I love it. Like, I never want to be anywhere else in August. I'm always going to be here. I love it so much. But yeah, it's a lot. Because <laughs> mm, with that, the highs and the lows, like you say, like you could have like just a really good audience one night or someone being a bit weird or someone leaving, even though they just need the loo or just all these things. How do you kind of have that consistency of just doing that show every day? Like, do you ever think I don't want to do it tonight? I don't think I've ever thought I don't want to do. I mean, I've thought, you know, as I'm leaving my flat or something, I'm like, oh, God, I wish I could just lie down for a bit. But once it's about to happen you know I only ever want to be on stage I love being on stage it's my favorite thing in the world I mean two years ago I had stage fright for the entire month that was a bit different but that felt more severe (laughs) and not like laziness or anything that was like okay I have there's an issue here but 
it's not that I don't ever want to do it. And I think maybe this French I've learned, you know, because I would go on stage and I would do the show in the same way. And sometimes it would be really good. Other times it would be less good. I think what I've learned is that I'm not going to do the same show every night. I mean, I will, but mm. I'm going to have to play the show to these specific people. So it can never really be the same show because I have to so, like adjust it to the day and my mood and, you know, what's happening in my life, what's happening in the room. You know, is it really, really hot in the room? Are there fewer people than usual? Am I feeling happy? Am I feeling sad? And then I just I kind of you can't because it's not a play. You don't you can't do it the same way every single night because they can feel that the audience can feel way they're like dogs. They can smell everything. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's what I've learned to be like, right. okay. so today I'm feeling anxious. So I have to sort of call that when I go on stage and play it as if I'm a anxious person, confident in the gig and my abilities. But this is my mood today yeah and that I guess that's the spirit of Edinburgh is you're seeing shows that people have worked so hard on and a lot of people with their first fringe especially like don't necessarily make that much money off it and it's basically a land of creativity where people love it and that's why they're here and it's really infectious it's something I was thinking about earlier that I haven't really been on my phone much this week because I've been in like dingy basements watching stand-up and I wondered do, do you feel like Edinburgh is like kind of the opposite of social media in that way like you're in the moment and it's kind of a bit more like nuanced like the conversation oh that's interesting I don't think social media really affects me that much because I I have very much custom made my feeds into being not bad for me <laughs> so like usually my feed is good full of just good things that make me feel good for me weirdly Edinburgh is like reminds me a bit of Denmark in a good way because there's just people I know everywhere you know you walk down the street and you just see so many people you know and that feels really comforting because I'm from Denmark I'm from Copenhagen where even though it's the biggest city it's you still walk down the street and you meet everyone you know mm. I love that I love the community I love to just see comedians so my social media feed is also full of my friends being like I got a good review or I'm really scared today or I have people in or like yesterday I met my friend Amy Gledhill and she told me that she got a st- standing ovation and I was like I could have cried because I was just so happy for her and so that is my social media feed very much reflects Edinburgh because mm. everyone I know is up here <laughs> god that, I think I need to stop following to like all the news then because <laughs> I think that's what I've been avoiding this mm. week is the news yeah and actually maybe I need to like meet some of that well Edinburgh there's nothing from the outside world gets exactly, in yeah. I have no idea what's happening I've not so nice I've not heard from my best friends because they just don't get it you know there's no way of explaining to them what this is you know my one friend was like oh maybe I'll come up and surprise you and I was like you do not do that you have no <laughs> idea you will not do that <laughs> Uh, but with um, your show, I haven't seen it yet, really annoyingly. I'm seeing it, <laughs> but I was like, oh, I should have seen it for chatting to you. How different is it from your previous shows? It's quite different. It's quite different. I did my, my first show was about depression and self-harm. Second show was about anxiety and like family issues. My third show was about emotional abuse and my psychopathic grandfather. Where this show is more fun. I think I've managed to find a way of talking about things I really want to talk about without it jeopardizing my mental health because I love mm. talking about dark stuff and I feel like when I have a platform and do need to talk ab- no no I'm going to delete myself there because that's not really how I feel I'd love for it to sound like oh I just think it's really important for me to blah. it's not I just love doing it I really <laughs> love talking about dark stuff it's not my duty as anything I'm just like yeah dark stuff but it's been quite hard like my last show about my grandfather like I, that was the show where I had stage fright and that was horrible like it's my favorite thing in the world is doing stand-up and suddenly I didn't want to go on stage that's horrendous and I was Mm. bad on stage because I was like shaking and my mouth was dry and I couldn't really focus and you know I've been in therapy for so long and I kind of realized that I can't 
bring myself into an emotional state where I remember all the trauma in my life every single night. Like mm. that's, I do the shows a lot. Mm. <laughs> so, but also I didn't want to do a show that was just about puppies for an hour because that's that bores me mm. so I think I've managed to find a way of doing it and that's yeah. as much as I can really say about that's really <laughs> cool doing any kind of spoilers or. especially after kind of the Hannah Gadsby's stand-up where she kind of opened up that dialogue around my trauma isn't really included in the price of the ticket for this show yeah but that's what started it because my, my therapist my therapist knows nothing about stand-up and then she she came in one day and she was like I just saw there's this show on Netflix and it's called Nanette and uh, I have to ask you do you know her do, is she okay and I was like what she was like but I saw that show and that must be so hard for her to do that must be so hard for her to do and she, and she said she must have done it like 20 times and I was like oh she's done it hundreds of times she told me that um when you repeat trauma like that even if you've dealt with the trauma they've done brain scans and stuff and figured out that uh, you re-traumatize yourself mm. by going into the trauma every time mm. so she was like she's not okay she's not okay and i'm like it's not for me to comment on hannah gatsby's mental health um i'm sure she's fully capable of <laughs> figuring out that herself i'm not gonna do as my therapist asked me to do and check in on her but I then sat back and was like, I've never really told you about what I do, have I? And I had to be like, so that's what I've been doing a lot, actually. Mm. I've been, you know, fully opening up about all this, like, really horrible trauma. Are you saying that I shouldn't have? And she was like, yeah. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I need to figure out how to. And this is the... I've never had more fun on in, in Edinburgh. I've never had more fun preparing a show. I've never had more fun on stage. I've always loved being on stage, but this is fun. I'm enjoying it. I'm having such a great time. So there's definitely something to say for yeah figuring out how to talk about things without yeah it affecting you that's so good and also we're halfway through and you look so fresh oh, and you. <laughs> you're just like looking really bright and i'm just so clearly it's working um but i wondered with because with one of your last shows you mentioned talking about anxiety and i read somewhere that you do create like a really great safe space for the audience and like if people have anxiety you've created like a space where people can feel that they can still come and I just wondered you are such a voice in many different ways on a few different issues I wondered are you ever held to like this high standard of like you have to be kind of this like angel person all the time it's a huge thing in my life right now trying to figure out I mean I so what happened was my second show Shima Shatter I tried to make every single venue on my tour wheelchair accessible, have gender neutral toilets and be anxiety safe, meaning that people could message me if they had any kind of anxiety needs, like being mm. let in early or being told any triggers or any topics or being seated near a, an aisle or whatever. And I did that with as many venues as I could. And then on, with my next show, That Baby Frog, that I also took on tour, when we booked the tour, I was like, we can only do it in venues that, have, that live up to these. So the entire tour will be mm. this way. And also I had a trigger warning because because the first sentence of the show was this is a show about emotional abuse mm. right so the trigger wouldn't spoil anything and i put pamphlets on the seats saying uh, here's the numbers you can call if this affects you and the trigger one you can leave if you want and and it really was not good for my career <laughs> it was really bad for a lot of people i think it was really good for them comedically it meant that i would start a show by it being very heavy in the room and everyone was sort of like on the edge of their seats going, oh, what's going to happen? Is this going to be really bad? And it was really hard to... And I think that's part of the reason I started having stage fright because it was such a severe way of starting something. Mm. And then I started having people react to me as if I 
am somehow fully responsible of every aspect of their lives. Mm. I have a lot of people who would get really angry if I didn't answer their DM where they told me fully about their mm. history of trauma, even though it had nothing to do with anything I was doing. I had people coming up to me crying because at one point in the show I'd said, you, like you British people, and she was actually from France. And she just didn't feel included because she was from France. And um, I should just think about that for the future. And stuff like that where I'm like, oh my God. And, you know, there'd be a lot of stuff in me in the street telling me about their horrific pasts and and then people being upset if I didn't like hug them and Mm -hmm. give them free therapy for 10 minutes. And it's a lot. It's a lot. And also I would then start having gigs where... Comedy is my main thing. I'm a comedian before I'm anything else. I love comedy. That's my main thing. And I've had to try and make it very clear that I cannot have trigger warnings on all of my shows. I could with that one because I mentioned it at the beginning. But I'm not going to do that with other shows. And people started to message me and say things like, it's really lovely that there's a safe space for me. And I do not believe in safe spaces. Safe spaces don't exist. And I think it's dangerous for people to think that there is because I can't. Someone this fringe said to me, have you made sure that you told all of your venue staff to not misgender people when they come to the show and not refer to people as ladies and gentlemen and stuff? Mm. And I was like, I cannot promise you that that won't happen. Like I can tell the people there, but it's full of volunteers. I can't control how their brains work that day. They're on 17 hour shifts and not really getting paid. Not my fault. Mm. That's just the way the venue and the fringe unfortunately works Mm. you know if people come to my shows expecting to never be offended to never be sad to never be triggered it's going to be even worse for them so like always have your guard up I can't control if there's someone in my audience who starts shouting out things I can't Mm. control if my venue staff says something I can't I'm on stage and a million things is happening in my head at the same time I'm performing I'm trying to deal with things I have complex PTSD meaning my brain don't work most of the time and then I can't control if someone says something and I don't just blurt out what did you say sir you know Mm. and I can't promise anyone that that those things won't happen. So it's really dangerous for people to think that coming to my shows are always going to be like a really safe, warm experience. So I've had to sort of back away from that a tiny bit. And I realize that's going to hurt some people. I realize that's going to be tricky. But after I did that too, I, my manager had phone calls from you know producers and promoters saying, oh yeah, we just don't... Mm, is Sophie even doing comedy anymore? Even though it's my comedy tour, they were like, mm, because it... It apparently is a really extreme thing to try and cater to people's needs. Mm. So I've sort of had to find a middle way where I can still have a career, I can still have my mental health, I can still do comedy without it breaking me, but also where I kind of have to teach my audience that, no, you know, mm. I'm not your therapist and there's no such thing as a safe space. And yeah. It's kind of a reminder that the world the world isn't a safe space, unfortunately. Yeah, and it isn't. And actually, it's it's one of those things where like if you're an anxious person you want to control things you want everything to be a certain way but can then make you more anxious in a way yeah and it's you know it's comedy and I will it's the thing that triggers is also so weird you know I've had people on the, the tour where I did the anxiety thing I had people ask me about very like their triggers would be something completely normal like my friend has had a huge traumatic experience and it was near a Calax, you know the Ikea furniture called a Calax, like a bookcase so for her that is a huge trigger and I'm like but 
I can't do like trigger warning. These are all the words I'm going to be using. So sometimes it's not even just a topic. It can be anything that can trigger people. And if you come into a show expecting to not be triggered, it can just make it so much worse. And it, it destroys my creativity. And I'm that's not to say I'm now going to be like edgy, right-wing comedian <laughs> saying whatever I want. I'm still going to be very careful. I'm still going to try my very best to not say anything offensive. I still have very um, activist friends coming to see my show to tell me if I'm saying anything problematic that I could change easily or that, you know, that I definitely should change because it's a problematic thing. But, you know, I'm still going to be talking about topics that are a bit, that could be dark to some people. It's a tricky one. And I spoke to an activist friend of mine recently who's sort of got the same type of audience that I do. And I was saying like, oh, do you also just get all these messages and people, you know, telling you their trauma and then being really upset if you don't answer? And, you know, I'd get a lot of messages from people saying, I just want to sit with you on the couch and, and have us talk about things all night. And my friend was like, no, I don't get that. That is very strange. Mm. Then we had a big chat and I realized, oh, you know who else gets that? It's other fat people, other mm. fat activists, mm. other fat people get that. And I was like, oh my God, they read me as like a maternal figure. They see me mm. as like a mother hen who needs to take care of them and right. who needs to protect them. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> this is awful. That's so interesting that the layers of kind of bias and the way that you see people and you expect things from them. Well, talking about that, because your book, Happy Fat, it's just like this kind of beautiful, like reclaiming of the word. And you were saying that you were doing some like book promo. And did you feel like there's this kind of divide between the people that go and buy your book and the people that like don't quite get it still? It's such a weird one, because (laughs) once you know about fat activism, it's so far from the norm in most people's heads. You know, the weirdness of people even reacting to the word, you're like, wow, then there's a long way from going, no, it's an, an okay word to use because it's okay to be fat. Like that's a lot of, to take in for a lot of people before you can tell them all the other stuff that's also really important. Mm. And it almost feels like, oh, that's a bad analogy, but <laughs> I, yeah, it kind of feels like pe- people are still like doing like finger painting and you're you're there with the, a Monet going, can you just please hurry up because like, <laughs> I need to yeah. talk about this thing. Yeah, because it's such a. And I mean, that's not because people are like stupid or anything. It's just most of us still believe that fat is a bad thing and fat is a bad word and no one should be fat. And most people don't know what's behind that. Most people don't know that that fat phobia is even a word, and they don't know that everyone is fat phobic. They don't know that uh, fat phobia stems from racism and fascism and you know eugenics and stuff. And most people don't know that it's that 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 is what is killing fat people you know most people don't know that them saying oh have you considered um just eating fewer calories and uh maybe exercising that every fat person has heard that a million times in their entire lives and like mm-hmm. that's not the answer and everyone thinks that fat is unhealthy and when you say it's not even when you present all of the statistics and all of the science and the studies and the history and mm. everything about it they still go mm, no no it's unhealthy mm. also this whole thing people just never seem to really realize is that even if you're unhealthy you're still allowed to be left alone and be treated absolutely well and it's such a weird thing like it's super ableist as those are people with disabilities like who just cannot be healthy and why are they not allowed to be respected you know mm. so it feels like such a basic thing you have to first make clear to people before you can even start talking about the more important details of it so it is a weird one when you 
you know, I've studied this for so long now and read about the history and throughout, you know, writing the book and all the stuff we had to delete from the book because it would be too long and mm. complicated. And, and then you still have someone saying, oh, but can you say the word fat? And you're like, wow, okay. Yes, you can. Mm. <laughs> yes, you can. It's an okay thing to be and to say. Do and you think fat could be a trigger for a lot of people? Yeah. And it's almost like that is, is annoyingly getting in the way of like definitely because when I even yeah. when I hear it I'm I can like remember being called it absolutely because it's it's not just a word that's used to make people feel bad it's almost like the word in itself has become you'd rather hear the word Voldemort right like it's it's sort of the same effect of shh, shh, shh. you know when if you say you are fat people will go no 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 you're not you're not you're stuck don't you mm. dare say that about yourself don't you dare say that about yourself and people who are fat who like, wouldn't even it's voluptuous or rotund or curvy or larger girl or blah because you can't even say the word you know it's such a shush word that you only use about like people you don't like and if someone's evil they're like they're just fat as well it's just like mm. oh you're just big fat evil but bastard so it's not just a bad word it's also just you can't say it it's such a secret you know and everything about fatness is about hiding it and pretending you're not fat and wear um a vertical no horizontal no vertical stripes mm. and wear black and wear all this shapewear and suck your stomach in and from a take a picture from that angle and you know contour your face so you look skinny and everything is just about hiding it hiding it hiding it like do not you know mm. it's the worst thing you can be it's the worst thing you can say so of course it's a hugely triggering word for most people but it isn't actually it doesn't stem from anything bad the word in, in itself is neutral you know it's i saw a like an allegedly fat activist she claimed she's like body positive she's absolutely not and one of the things was um yeah a, a woman said that i was fat and within fat activism terms it's like yeah but we agree that's not a bad thing right it's like mm. yeah a woman said i was a brunette that's not in itself a bad thing unless you think it is mm. then it is a bad thing mm. so yeah it's you have to start looking at it as, as a descriptive thing and yeah people will probably get hurt with me saying it's okay to say but we just need to we need to get over that because we can't keep treating it as if it's bad because it's not. I literally could do five different episodes of you. Like you're just such an interesting person. And I think there's just so many sides to what you do that so many topics. But I guess I'll, uh, my final question is because I'd read online somewhere that in a bit of your show, you do talk a little bit about the comparisons between being in Denmark and being like the kind of cultural differences. I know that's a part of the show, but what else is kind of to expect? Yeah, be. I talk a lot about the Danish queen. Uh, the Danish queen is amazing. She's incredible. She has a part-time job. She <sighs> she smokes 10 packs a day and doesn't give a shit. She's incredible. I, I, I don't want to ruin it. There's so much about her. I love her. Uh, <laughs> I'm, never, I'm not a royalist, but <laughs> when you live in another place, you suddenly go, you know what? <laughs> yeah, the Danish queen. Yeah. Um, I do an impression of my mother, which I think is very fun. doesn't really make sense because I do it in English, as you would obviously not be speaking in English, but I reveal the actual Danish accent. This isn't it. <laughs> it's the one I've been fleeing from. Uh, I think it's probably the best show I've done. I know you're meant to say that, but it is. My other two weren't. They were still good, but they were not the best things I've done. This is. It's a journey. It's a funny show. It's funny. It's a show in which you have to be awake because everything happens for a reason. Nothing is in there by accident. Nothing is in there that could be removed. Which is why when I start the show, if people don't like it, I'm like, well... <laughs> 
this is it because I can't change anything. It has to be this way. And it's also just about, and I don't really talk about why, but it's about memory and it's about my memory in particular. And it's been received very well. But when there has been any kind of criticism, it has been that it's, I think people might not believe me when I talk about my memory and the way my brain works. And I don't explain in the show that it's because I have complex PTSD and all these other psychological issues. That means that I just do not remember things mm. at all. Right. So I think people are like, but this is not relatable because this is weird. <laughs> like, how can you not remember the first 10 years of your life? And I'm like, well, I don't want to stand up there and be like, that is because of the emotional abuse. Because then that's just another traumatic show of mine. But I can still talk about my memory being so bad that I've, you know, forgotten my best friend. <laughs> like, I forgot that she existed for a bit. So yeah, it's a bit about that. It's, But I think in general, all of my shows are very much for... I think everyone can watch them and enjoy them, but it's very much if you... I think it speaks to the, a bit of the darkness in people. Because I don't think I can... Sp I'm a Scorpio. I couldn't speak to any other part of people. And um, it's just really funny. It's I made, can't wait to see it's it. It's about a sex holiday. <laughs> I'm so excited to see it. Thank you so, so much for speaking to me. Thank and you for having me. Genuinely, I think I, I would love to have you back on in a couple of months because yeah. I genuinely have so much more to ask you. I know, I can, I can talk forever. <laughs> That's my job. Yes, yeah. I would love to come back. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. And have the good rest of your Edinburgh. Thank you too. Thanks. <laughs>